Welcome to Transforming Lives with Michael Carter, pastor of The Life Church. The Life Church is a place where you'll enjoy interactive dynamic worship, prayer, and a very practical, down-to-earth yet spiritual message. Our service times are Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and Wednesday night reboot at 6.45 p.m. Visit us at mychurchlife.org or on Facebook. Just search My Church Life and look for The Life Church. Now, let's join Pastor Mike. We're going to start a new series called It's a Wonderful Life. I've actually done this series before some years ago. But God just revived it in my spirit for this year and everything that we've been through this year and this particular Christmas season uh, because we need some good news. I know we do. And I, I, I dare you to find 10 people that would say it's been a wonderful year. <laughs> but I tell you what, uh, as long as God is in us, it's been a wonderful life and it is a wonderful life. Come on. I don't mean just Jimmy Stewart running down the street. I mean, uh, we got God in us. And so it's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. God saw us and he knew that we needed a savior. He provided a savior before the foundations of the world. Turn over to Galatians chapter four. I'm gonna go through a few different scriptures this morning. Galatians chapter four. And look at a couple of things that Paul said about this before we even get into the message this morning. I want you to look at what Paul is saying about this time and what Jesus did. Galatians chapter 4, look at verses 4 and 5. This is Paul talking to the church at Galatia. And here's what he says. He says, but when the set time, somebody say set time. But when the set time had fully come, say fully come. See, God doesn't do anything early or anything late. He's always what? Come on, somebody. Right on time. He's always right on time. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. God waited till the perfect Time, a time that he had predestined, a time that he knew, a time that he knew. And in this time of 2020, I just want to encourage you that nothing is going to happen before God's time. God, come now. God, change it. God, take away corona. God, take away uh, the racism thing that we're going through. God, take away whatever economy, whatever it is that we're going through. God says, when the time has fully come, you will see the manifestation of what I've already done. Did you get that? When the time has fully come, listen to me now, you will see the manifestation of what I've already done because I live in eternity. And what you want to see, what you're going to see is already done. I've already done it. But when the set time comes, come on somebody, when the set time comes, I want you to do me another favor. Flip over to Timothy, Timothy chapter 1. This is Paul's perspective on this whole thing. This is Paul trying to teach us some things. Timothy chapter 1, I'm going to begin down in verse 15. Watch what he says here. Paul says it this way. He says, here is a trustworthy saying. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
of whom I am the worst. Come on, somebody. First Timothy. I am the worst is what he said. I am the worst. But for that reason, I was shown mercy. <laughs> so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now, to the king eternal, immortal, invisible. Come on, somebody say he's the God of the impossible. Come on. The king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Let me throw one more at you. Turn over to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Paul has a perspective that I think we need to get on this thing. I think we're looking at the world and we're looking at coronavirus and we're looking at economy and we're looking at politics. And Paul is saying, I want you as we end this year and go into 2021 to change your perspective. It has to be me first, God is saying. And we would say that. If I would say, raise your hand if God is first in your life, all of us should raise our hands. All of us would say that God is first in our life. But what comes out of our mouth when we complain? What comes out of our mouth? I mean, have we said Corona more than we've said Jesus? Why don't you look at your vocabulary over the last three months? Come on. I, I, I'm not throwing any stones now. I, when you live in a glass house, you know, Brother Al, I, I know that. I'm not throwing stones. But God is speaking to us this morning. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 3. Paul told Titus this. First he talked to the Galatians. Then he talked to Timothy. Now he's talking to his other son, Titus. He said this. Come on now, listen. Don't take it personal, but if the shoe fits. At one time we were too foolish disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. I believe this year for many of us, and especially, especially the church, it's not an indictment, it's just an observation, come on, uh, our perspective, we've allowed our perspective to get off just a little bit. We've allowed our perspective to get off. But God, not because of any righteous thing we've done, not because we came together and were so obedient to him, but God, just because he loved us, sent his son into this world that we might be heirs that we might be heirs, that we might be heirs. And so what we have to understand is it's not up to us to do things to be obedient, to now get God to change and come up with a cure for coronavirus. It's up to us to react to the love that God has already shown us because I want to tell you this, if I can be so bold, the cure is already here. We just can't see it. 
We can't see it because of our perspective. We're focusing on the virus and not the cure. And yes, that's a metaphor for the rest of our lives as well. When you focus on the virus and not the cure, you'll never see the cure. We're focusing on our circumstances and not the God of the impossible. That's why we received that word this morning. Because God is saying, focus on me. I am the God of the impossible. Why do you think the, the, the disciples were in a boat and a storm came up and Jesus was with them? Why do you think that? Because they would never know that I'm the God of the storm unless they were in a storm. And they called on me to say, peace be still. They would never know that I am the creator of all things unless I walk on water because I'm the God of the impossible. Our perspective needs to change. And when our perspective changes, then we can truly say with no doubt in our heart that it's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. Come on, somebody. It's a wonderful life. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. This is the last one I'm going to ask you to turn to. We can go on, go on over to our, our keynote now. Uh, it's a wonderful life. You know, Jesus is wonderful. Come on. He does wonderful things. His, his love is wonderful, limitless. It breaks down our barriers, barriers. Jesus is what? Marvelous. He's all those words that we can think of. He's astounding, admirable, unusually good. He's the God of the impossible. He's altogether different. We can't compare him to anything else. And we do that. I know I do. I do. I look at Jesus through an earthly perspective sometimes. And I, I, when something uh, happens or, or I feel like in my spirit the Lord is telling me to do something, I compare it and I say, eh, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense because he's unusually and altogether different. He's extraordinary. Jesus is wonderful even when we are not wonderful and life is not wonderful. I know most of us in here would say 2020, in my perspective, has not been wonderful. But in the midst of life not being wonderful, Jesus is still wonderful. And we have, in, in fact, it's easy to proclaim his name in 2019 when it seems like things are going well. But where he really wants you to say, Jesus is Lord, and when you look around and everybody is saying, where is your God? If there is a God, why are there typhoons and wars? If there is a God, why is, uh, is there a pandemic? If there is a God, but in the midst of all that, that's when he wants us to stand up and say, Jesus is Lord. And I shall not be moved, like Paul was saying. Paul was convinced. Paul was persuaded that Jesus is Lord. And that's the way we have to be. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We're in the keynote now. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Out of the Good News translation, I know I've read a couple different translations for you this morning. You know it. It's a very familiar verse of Scripture. It says, a child is born unto us. A child is born to us. A son is given to us. And he will be our ruler. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And I don't want it to be lost on you that he said, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. We'd say, yeah, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. 
But Isaiah said something in there, the prophet. He shall be called everlasting father. I'm not here to explain that to you this morning, but I just want you to get that in your noggin for a moment because you can't explain God lest he reveal himself to you. I thought Jesus was the son. If, was he talking to the father? But here it says he's going to be called eternal father. He's going to be called everlasting father. How does that work? He's altogether different. I know you're waiting for me to give you an explanation. My explanation is you don't understand God. He's a triune being. He was here before time was here. Why do you think you can't explain him? There will be a day. Now we see through a glass darkly. But then we shall see face to face. And if you really want to know, pray and ask God for revelation. If he sees fit, he'll give it to you. Amen. But what we have to do is make sure that we are in awe of who he is. That's the point I'm trying to get to you. We must be in awe of God and not in awe of Corona. I can't believe this virus. We can't find a cure for it. It kills some people and other people it doesn't. This, that. I'm not in awe of that. I'm in awe of God. Someone who breathed and stars came out. Someone who stopped time. Stop time. You talked about that on Wednesday. Come on. Why could he stop it? Wow, what a miracle. How could God do that? He created it. I can, I can stop what I create, God is saying. Why are you amazed? Jesus is a wonderful counselor. I want to hone in on wonderful counselor this morning. Because how many know that we need some counsel? <laughs> Come on. We need to know what to do. And the only way we're going to get that is if we pray and ask God. If God revealed to us what to do. Come on. I, I know doctors are trying. Scientists are trying. Everybody's trying. Economists. But the only way to get the truth is to go to God. And he is a wonderful counselor. There's a Hebrew word. One of the Hebrew words for counselor is yawats. Y-A-W-A-T-S or Y-A-A-T-S, Yawats. And it means to advise. You know what counselor means. It means to deliberate or resolve. It means to advertise, determine, to, to devise, guide, to purpose. And counsel has come in the form of a person. This is what we need to see. That counsel didn't just come in the form of an edict. Counsel didn't just come in the form of the Bible. God left us that. That's his word. But before the written word, there was a person. There was a person. There was a person. And that's how we have to see God as a person. Let me give you this illustration. It'd be like you driving down the street. And we know for those of us who drive, when you drive, you must obey the law of the land. So when you come to a traffic light and the traffic light turns red, what do we do? We stop. Absolutely. Why? Because the law says when the light is red, you stop. Or when you come to a stop sign, you stop. But I've been in situations where I've driven up to a stop sign or, or a traffic light and there's been a police officer out in the middle of the intersection. And he's doing whatever he's doing, directing traffic for whatever reason. I don't know the reason. Maybe there's construction. Maybe something else is going on. And he looks at me, blows his whistle, and does like this. I look up at the light, and it's red. Or I look at the stop sign, and it says stop. But the police officer is doing like this. What do you do now? You go. Why? 
Because you're following the law, but now the law is not just a written law. It's there in the form of a person. And that supersedes everything else that you know about the law. When Jesus came as a person, it supersedes everything else that we know in our mind about any law. He is the person. And nothing can go above the person of Jesus Christ. This is why we must turn to him for our counsel. He's a wonderful counselor. He gives us four things of counseling. One of them is a counsel of understanding. In Deuteronomy 32, 28, it says, For they are a nation void of counsel. And he said, There is no understanding in them. How many know that God does want us to have understanding? Understanding of what? Understanding of his will. Understanding of his way. Understanding of his SOP. Some of us who have been in the military understand that means standard operating procedures. He wants us to know him in his suffering and in his resurrection. God wants us to have understanding. He gives us counsel of understanding. So when we just don't understand why is the world the way it is? Why is this thing going on? Who are we looking to? Are you looking to the doctors? Well, they have some knowledge. Are you looking to the scientists? Are you looking to uh, the news anchors? Come on. Come on. They must know. They tell us everything we need to know. God says, look to me, look to me when you're void of understanding. Psalm 119, 104 says, through your precepts, David said this, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. You're able to recognize every false way when you first go to God to get understanding. You don't have to memorize every false thing that there is. Go to God for understanding and anything that's not that is a false way. This is what came to us in Bethlehem, by the way. A wonderful counselor of understanding, of understanding. There's an old saying that says, in youth we learn, in age we understand. What I want to say to that is, spend more time with God. Youth would be like you only spending a few hours with God over your lifetime. You're still a youth. But a mature Christian spends some time with God, making mistakes, missing God at times. Come on. And then coming back to him, being a prodigal, coming to yourself and coming back to the Lord, doing things that you know God uh, would not approve of and then coming back to him. Come on. This is how you get to be mature. I'm not telling you to go out and make mistakes, but I'm telling you, you don't really know God unless you've been through some things. Because it's in, it's in the crucible of, of adversity that we're formed and we're shaped. It's like all of the illustrations of coal and diamonds and all of these things. It's in the crucible of adversity. So do we rejoice for adversity? We don't rejoice because we're in the adversity. We, adversity. we rejoice because we know who the God of the impossible is. And he's taking us through it. Wonderful counselor of understanding. He's also a wonderful counselor of wisdom. God gives us wisdom. Deuteronomy 32, 29, he says this, Oh, that they were wise. And when I read that, I just get the feeling that God, it, it's almost an emotional plea. Oh, that they were wise, that they understand. Do you know how very bad 
God wants you to understand and be wise. He doesn't want you to live your life willy-nilly, as my grandfather used to say. He doesn't want you to just flop around in life. He's saying, oh, that they were wise, that they un understood this, that they would consider the latter end. Some of us are so spontaneous, we don't consider the end. We don't consider the consequences. We don't consider that God could be doing something. That, the, that we ask, God, please give us a word because I'm in the midst of this fire. I'm in the fiery furnace. And what comes from the Lord? Enjoy the oven. Enjoy the oven. I have you there for a time. In fact, I'm going to join you in the fiery furnace and we'll rejoice together. Our perspective has to change. Our perspective has to change. Job 15, 8 says, have you heard the counsel of God? Do you limit wisdom to yourself? He's talking directly to us. Have we not heard the counsel of God? Do we think we're wise in ourselves? Turn to God for wisdom. He's a wonderful counselor of understanding. He's a wonderful counselor of wisdom. And he is a wonderful counselor of assurance. I came across this story about these two teachers. Because as, as I've said, I've, I've been doing a, a little bit of substitute teaching and I've got a different perspective, Sister Carol, on teachers who are heroes, I believe. And uh, I came across this story about these two teachers that both put in for a promotion to be vice principal. One teacher had eight years of experience teaching. The other teacher, he had 20 years of experience. So they both put in their applications and the school board reviewed everything and they chose the teacher with eight years of experience. And the teacher that had 20 years of experience thought about it for a while and then he wrote the school board and he said, listen, I'm not, there's nothing against her and I'm sure she's a wonderful teacher, but I've got 20 years of experience. Certainly I'm more qualified for this position than she is. Well, the school board came back to him and they said, yes, it is true that you've been a teacher for 20 years, but you have, you have been a teacher for 20 years with one year of experience over and over and over again. This teacher has eight years of true experience. That's why we chose her. Some of us have lived life and we're a certain age, but we've been doing the same thing over and over and over again. You see, if we don't go through the crucible of adversity, we don't mature. All of us would love to go year after year and everything be beautiful. And the next year be more beautiful than the last. And, and we just go through nothing. Who wouldn't want that? Of course we want that. But you don't grow that way. And God is certainly not going to give you the vice principal position. If you've been doing it for 20 years, but you've only got one year of experience over and over and over again. Come on. Eight years of experience, but it's real experience. Come on. He's a wonderful counselor of assurance. First Thessalonians 1.5 in the NLT says it this way, New Living Translation, for when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. 
And you know that of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you, the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance. You're not going to find it in a science book. You're not going to find it uh, doing an arch architectural, what is it, uh, archaeology. Uh, you're not going to find it out there doing a dig. Uh, you're not going to find it. It only comes from the Holy Spirit. That's where the assurance comes from. That's why people, you know, again, I'm not coming down on scientists. We need scientists. God created science. But if that's your God, you're never going to get your answer. You're never going to get it. The, the assurance comes from the Holy Spirit. And saints, we need to have an assurance. And if you say, I do have an assurance, then we need to start acting like our assurance. <laughs> Come on. We need to start acting like our assurance. We need to stop being worried about coronavirus. Now, I know. I know what I'm saying. And I, I, I'm not saying that we need to be, you know, haphazard. And we don't. He, we just said he, wants, he gives us counsel of wisdom. So we know that we have to be wise and we have to do wise things. I'm not saying that. But I'm talking about the fear that's in your heart. And not just about that, but about anything. You know, I, I love, I, I love uh, what Brother Jeff said some years ago. He was in the hospital. I won't even recount it. But he was in the hospital and I, some nurses were attending to him. And I might not get the whole story right, Brother Jeff. But, uh, you know, I, when I talked to him, he said, listen, the nurses came in. He said, I don't want anybody in my room that's going to speak negative. You come in here, you either speak faith or don't come in my room. He's in the middle. This wasn't after he had already recovered. He's in the middle of what he's going through. And he's saying, listen, don't come in here unless you speak in faith. Why? Because he had the counsel of assurance. He had a blessed assurance that no matter what you see on the outside, we can't go by how we feel and what we see on the outside. We can't go by that. I believe that's part of the reason Jesus came in a manger. We wanted to see something different. We wanted to see him come out of the clouds on a chariot. Here he comes. Here he comes. The heavenly stork is dropping off the baby. Let's get the trumpets out. Here he comes. No. Only a few shepherds and a couple who was going through it and had no place to stay knew the night he was born and some animals in a trough. Because he didn't come like you want him to come. But he gives us a counsel of assurance. The Living Bible, that same 1 Thessalonians says, For when we brought you the good news, it was not just meaningless chatter to you. No, you listened with great interest. What we told you produced a powerful effect upon you. For the Holy Spirit gave you great and full assurance that what we said was true. And you know how our very lives were further proof of you, of the truth of our message. Our very lives were the proof. The Holy Spirit gives us assurance. Psalm 13, 2 says, How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemies be exalted over me? In other words, David is saying, How long will I only take counsel with myself? When will I turn to the wonderful counselor? When will I turn to the wonderful counselor of understanding? When will I turn to the wonderful counselor of wisdom? When will I turn to the wonderful counselor of assurance? He is the one that gives us assurance. 
And then lastly, he's a wonderful counselor that establishes you. God establishes you, not man. God promotes you, not man. God does those things. Proverbs 16, verses 1 to 3, the preparations of the heart belong to man. Uh, we, my wife and I were just, I was saying this this morning because I have a way that I think things should go. The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. And now here it is. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Paul said in another scripture, he said, uh, uh, you know, he was talking about Jesus. And, and, you know, Jesus, Jesus said one time, you know, I'm leaving you well and, and whole. That's my parting gift to you. Peace, I leave you. Not the way you're used to it being left. This is out of the message translation. Feeling abandoned and bereft. So don't be upset. Don't be distraught. Jesus is trying to tell us that we, uh, the, the peace that he is leaving with us is not the peace that we're used to. Paul told us that we, we should guard our hearts and minds. And the Christ of peace, the Christ of peace will give us his peace. Come on. This story about a wise woman and her stone, this is how God wants us to change our heart. A wise woman who was traveling in the mountains, she found a, a precious stone in a stream. And the next day, she met another traveler. She was doing some hiking. And she met a traveler who was hungry. And the wise woman, she opened her bag to give him something to eat. And he saw the very precious stone in her bag. And uh, she said, well, you know, what is it? What is it that you want? I have some different things in here. He said, what I really want is that precious stone that you have in there. You know what she did? She gave him the stone. She gave him this precious stone without hesitation. So the traveler left. He was rejoicing in his good fortune because he knew the stone was worth enough to give him security for the rest of his life. In fact, it would give him and his children security. Come on. But a few days later, he came back and he returned the stone to the woman. He said, I've been thinking last couple days and I know how valuable the stone is. But I give it back in the hope that you can give me something even more precious. Give me what you have within you that enabled you to give me the stone. That's what I want. And this Christmas season, this is what God is trying to get into our hearts. It's not about a cure. I know we, we, all, we all want a cure or a greater economy or whatever it may be that we're looking for. But our desire should be, Lord, give me what it is that's in your heart that allows you to do what you do and to see things the way that you see them. God wants us to be visionaries, wise visionaries. He wants us to be wise visionaries because let me tell you this. There are a lot of people who are talented. There are talented preachers. There are talented carpenters. There are talented uh, media people. There are talented people all over the place. But at the end of the day, 
Talent allows you to do things that others can't do. That's a good thing. I mean, I look up to talented people. But visionaries see things that other people can't see. And that's what God wants you to do. He doesn't want you just to be talented to show off how great you are and show off your gifts. He wants you to be a visionary. And so when Christ came into the world, I believe that he came to save us. But he came to save us and get us into his kingdom. You see, the birth of Christ, his life of 33 some odd years, and the cross, all of that was a beginning for us. It was a beginning for us. He came in a manger so that he could save us and bring us into the kingdom that we may be able to see through God's eyes because we never would unless he would have come. And as we prepare ourselves to go into this next year, let us pray that the reason Jesus came resonates with us, not just as a savior, but the reason to bring us into his kingdom that we might see things the way that he sees them. Church, we are the leaders. It's not the president, no matter who he is or she or whatever. I know they call the, our president the leader of the free world, but we serve the leader of the free universe. Come on. We serve the Lord of Lords, the presidents of presidents, and the king of kings. And as long as we are in him, we are the leaders here on the earth. We are the true leaders. And we have to see. That's why Jesus came. We have to be able to see. We can't just go with our talents. We can't just go with our gifts. We have to be visionaries. We have to be able to see past the virus. <laughs> we have to be able to see past any problems or whatever it may be. And with our mouth, we have to proclaim the name of Jesus, that the world will be changed. If we want true change, we can't be uh, opposed and we can't uh, put the world under our feet and look down our nose at them because Jesus didn't do that. And I know it's hard not to do that. Trust me, I know. <laughs> but we must see them the way that Jesus sees them as the sick who need to be saved. And not from self-righteous church, from a church that's been saved itself, herself, from a church that understands I'm not going to talk bad about somebody lest I be tempted that same way. That's in the scripture, by the way. From a church who is grateful and understands grace, for a church that understands mercy and how we've received mercy. And I want you, world, to have that same mercy. That's why Jesus came as a little baby. That's how we have to see it.